1 Samuel chapter number 16, 1 Samuel 16, I might say a word of congratulations to those graduating and we're going to have a lot of guests here and, and uh, it's going to get busy in a hurry and I just want to say it's been a real blessing to have the senior class here and those uh, that are graduating and, and uh, I know as a church family we try to be mindful to pray for them along the way, you know, and just how God's going to use them and already has used them here is a real, real blessing. <clears throat> All right, 1 Samuel and chapter number 16, and we're going to look at uh, the first 13 verses here, and we'll do some review as we get into it. I think it'll be very important uh, to our consideration about Saul and the transition. This is a, this is a major transitional point in time, and I, I so look forward to preaching the life of David. In fact, I remember when we, when we came here in 2003, Brother Sam was in the midst of a series on David, um, and I believe by that point in time was, was deeper in the life of David, but we're, we're coming here at the very beginning. And so this is, um, I'm glad God preserved this for you, for you and I, aren't you? I'm thankful that he's preserved it for us and rather, and, and uh, that we can glean from it and be helped by it. And so I look forward to getting into it here tonight. Let's look at verse number one. It says, and the Lord said unto Samuel, how long wilt thou mourn for Saul? seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel. Fill thine horn with oil and go, I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I have provided me a king among his sons. I have provided me a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hear it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take an heifer with thee and say, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord and call Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show thee what thou shalt do and thou shalt anoint unto me whom I name unto thee. And Samuel did that which the Lord spake and came to Bethlehem and the elders of the town trembled at his coming. And said, comest thou peaceably? Wasn't always a good thing when the man of God came to town and from the vantage point of the people of the town. They didn't know what this meant. And he said, peaceably. I imagine they were relieved right there. <laughs> peaceably. I'm come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves. And come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and called them to the sacrifice. And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. And I believe that is a key verse really in the book of Samuel, both given what precedes it and also what's going to come in the book of 1 Samuel and even 2 Samuel for that matter. Verse number eight, then Jesse called Abinadab, and made him pass before Samuel. And, say, and he said, neither hath the Lord chosen this. Then Jesse made Shammah to pass by. 
And he said, neither hath the Lord chosen this. So we have a parade of sons going on right here and not one of them is chosen. Look at, at verse number 10. Again, Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, the Lord hath not chosen these. And Samuel said unto Jesse, are here all thy children? <laughs> I mean, he's perplexed by this. I know God said it's among your children. Are you sure all your kids, your kids are here? And he said, there remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. And he went and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and withal of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. But that's not what qualified him to serve. Nor did it disqualify him. I want to say you don't have to be ugly for God to use you. <laughs> All right, I'm not sure if I should have said that, but too late now, right? No, he was a handsome young man. He was goodly to look to. He was handsome. <clears throat> and the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Uh, the title of the message here tonight as we get started in, in the life of David is this. Apparently, you can't go by appearances. Apparently, you can't go by appearances. Either way. Apparently, you can't go by appearances. You don't have to be impressive to be used of God. You don't have to be impressive to be used of God. May God bless the reading of his word as you're seated. We'll get started here in the life of David. In the last message, we were considering uh, Saul and, and even this, the burden of keeping up appearances, the burden, the, the heavy weight of keeping up, propping up appearances. If you remember, after Saul acknowledged his sin, um, he wanted Samuel to go along with him to worship. Do you remember that? Now, some weren't here, and I just want to get us started there, but he wanted Samuel to play along. He wanted Samuel to really, in many ways, to pretend like everything's okay. And Saul knew it wasn't okay, and Samuel knew it wasn't okay. But that really struck me that he wanted to keep up the appearance that everything was all right. Samuel, please come with me. And, and, and Samuel said, I'm not going to go with you because I don't want to give you the idea that somehow God's going to change his mind and let you continue being king. No, your, your sin has disqualified you from being king. And Samuel said, please, I'm sorry, I've been doing this all serious, so why not now, right? Uh, Saul said, please, Samuel, you got to go with me because I'll look bad in front of the elders if you don't go with me. And so he was pleading with that. Here's, here's what I, we noticed. Saul was much more interested in things getting back to normal than he was in getting things back right with God. 
And there could be a, a desire on all of our parts to want to keep up an appearance, to have an appearance that everything's okay, that, that I'm, I'm doing all right spiritually. In fact, I like what one man said. He said that Saul wanted Samuel's endorsement even though he had lost God's approval. And sometimes we're more concerned about our standing before people than we are about our standing before God. And so Samuel said, I'm not going to play along with you, Saul. And now eventually he did. And that wasn't compromise. I don't believe for one second that that was compromise on Samuel's part at all. He had already made his point very clear with Saul that Saul, listen, God's not going to recant on this. God's not going to change his mind on this. You've lost the opportunity to continue as king. God has rejected you and he's chosen someone better than thou. That's what he said. He's chosen someone better than thou. Saul was a king after their own heart. David would be a king after God's own heart. And so God will not play along tonight. Listen, I think we all need to get this here before we move on. God will not play along with your lack of repentance. He's not satisfied that we go through the motions of spiritual service or singing songs or being in church. He's, he's not satisfied with us pretending like everything's okay. He wants things really to be okay. To be right is what I mean. Because otherwise, you'll find yourself very burdened by trying to keep up an appearance like everything's all right. I'm in church, preacher. Come on, back off. I'm in church, wife, back off. <laughs> I'm in church, parents, back off. No, wait a minute. We're not interested in you having an appearance of everything being all right. It's got to be the substance of it. Otherwise, that's hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. So that chapter had to do with appearances. This chapter has to do with appearances only from a different angle. All right. Here, here's what we tend to do. All right. Now, I want you to really tune into this as we get into tonight's message. That was just a recap. And, and, and here, here we go officially with, with where we're going here tonight. We tend to be impressed with impressiveness. Don't we? We tend to be impressed with impressiveness. I mean, players are drafted into the NFL, the National Football League, based on height and weight and speed, and agility, and performance, the combine, right? They, they perform at the combine to see how they're doing in all these areas. And so uh, players are literally drafted or not drafted based on appearance. Appearance more than character. <laughs> Cars and trucks are modified. I'm not against, I'm not against, <laughs> I'm not against that. If you're into that, if you're into that, I mean, it's, it, anyways. <laughs> Cars and trucks are modified, you know, wheels and, and tires and lifts and engines and, and, I mean, all these things, they're modified to impress. Business executives pour over resumes and interviews to determine who all, who they ought to hire. And I understand that, don't you? I mean, they, they maybe don't know people and they, they've got to have some point of reference. I'm just simply saying, we give a lot of credence. We give a lot of attention. We give a lot of, uh, we give a lot of stock or rather we put a lot of stock in things like this, giftedness, knowledge, personality, 
talent, looks. We put a lot of uh, emphasis on looks. I used to do that like a lot. I'd go between every class in my seventh grade year and eighth grade year and comb my hair literally between every class period, making sure it was feathered back just right, comb just right. I mean, literally. It's all about appearance. And then God judges you for your vanity. <laughs> I mean, we do, we put so much uh, uh, emphasis on our, our looks and and I, you know, I, hey, look, I, I don't, God's not against you wearing makeup, ladies. God's not against, uh, you know, you wearing uh, apparel and that's nice, nice clothing. I, I don't believe that. I don't think he's against, you know, uh, earrings and ladies. He's not against necklaces and rings and all those things. As long as you're not trying to find your sense of beauty there. But we, we put emphasis on degrees and positions and buildings and size and, and, and all these things that, that really register with other people. Wow, man, look at them. I mean, it's obvious that they're successful. Well, you know, they could actually just be a very highly skilled sinner. They could have a big theological brain, but a dark, sinful heart. That's what we read in a book called A Dangerous Call. And even about pastors, sometimes pastors are judged on how funny they are, how intelligent they are, what kind of personality they have, if they're extroverts or introverts, or, or if they have a big congregation or, a, or, or run so many buses or have so many classes or have so many in their staff. Hey, listen, the fact is, is that, listen, they could be impressive to all kinds of people, and yet God knows the heart. In other words, we tend, to, we tend to focus on externals while God truly does focus on internals. And that does not imply, by the way, that externals are not important to God. We'll, we'll get to that here in just a moment. There's, I believe, a, a, a resting of the text. There's a, a, a ripping out of context of verse number seven. Oftentimes that really ought not to be done. But it is true that God is focused here on the heart. And so while this is obvious that why, why did God choose David as opposed to Eliab and Abinadab and Shammah and all the other brothers of, of David who evidently were probably taller and stronger than David and they certainly were older than David. I mean, here it is. He's the, he's the youngest and, and everybody here that's an older sibling knows that the youngest, they're not qualified. But I think there's two extremes here. Uh, sometimes we, t we, we tend to put too much emphasis on these external things, but sometimes we also look at, at ourselves and we say, well, God can't use me because I'm not like him. Or God can't use me because I don't look like her. I'm not as important to God because he didn't make me beautiful. I'm not as important to God because he didn't make me uh, muscular. I, I, I can't be used of God because I'm, I'm not as wealthy as others. I don't have a kind of job that they have. I don't kind of have the kind of personality that they have. Listen, that is the other extreme of the same symptom. It's more of a focus still on yourself. And so listen, you need to understand that God's not going to use you based on your impressiveness because if he used us based on our impressiveness, then, then listen, we're getting the glory for it. 
And we certainly need to do this. We need to apply the, the standard that God uses here to the selection of friends. Who your friends are, you ought not base who your friends are based on how rich they are, what kind of job they have, what kind of car they drive, what, what kind of looks they have. I don't think we shouldn't base church membership. We shouldn't have somebody come in this auditorium that maybe is, uh, uh, you know, their, their clothes is saying, you know, they're not, they're not wealthy. We, we shouldn't treat them any different than we do somebody that comes in here wearing a nice designer suit. We ought to treat them exactly the same because otherwise we're, we're going by appearances. So this ought to apply to the way that you choose your friends. And listen, it ought to apply most certainly how, if you're not married here tonight, how you choose a mate. You need a beauty that doesn't wash off in the rain. Amen right there. You need a beauty that, listen, that just gets more beautiful over time. So while it is obvious, evidently it's not. Because we still make the same mistake in judging outwardly rather than inwardly. Okay, verse 1 tells us that, that God didn't want Samuel to continue mourning over the disappointment of Saul. Saul uh, Samuel was disappointed. Understandably so. I mean, he, he had been a part of Saul, Saul's life. I, I think Saul, as we saw earlier, he started out in a, with a promise. I mean, he, he really, by the way, we, we've said this a long way, God did not set Saul up for failure. God doesn't set you up for failure. God wanted to help Saul. Saul had him meet two people, then three people, then a company of prophets, and then the Spirit of God came upon Saul. And so it's obvious that, that God was wanting to help Saul, and yet Saul got so far away from God. And it was a great disappointment. And so why is, why is Samuel mourning so here? Well, it may be, of course, his, his, I, I think even just his concern, even for Saul himself. But it may, it may also be this. He's concerned about the nation and how things are going to go in the nation. And what if the nation goes the same way that Saul was, which would be a good, which, which would really be um, a right assessment given that they wanted a king like all the other nations. And God gave them a king like all the other nations. And so now Saul has been rejected. So Samuel may be thinking, we're going down the wrong road. And I wonder if there's any hope in this situation. It was morning. And I, I just want to, before we move on, I want to say it may be that you've been disappointed by some spiritual leader in your life. It may be you're disappointed by a parent. It may be you're disappointed by a pastor. It may be you're, you've, been dis you've been hurt by somebody. How long are you going to stay there? How long are you going to let that determine your direction of life. Are, are you listening to me here tonight? Is that helpful thinking right there? I mean, God came to Samuel and said, Samuel, how long are you going to mourn over Saul? In other words, he's saying, yes, that is rather disappointing, but I'm still on the throne. <laughs> and so even if somebody has disappointed you, then it's too trite to say, get over. And that's not what God is saying to Saul, to Samuel rather, but he's saying this, listen, Samuel, I still have a plan and I can work. So I want you to take the horn of oil and, and go to the house of Jesse. And, and I look at the last part of verse number one. Very, very crucial to the study of this passage is this word provided. I have provided me a king. All right, provided. It's the, word, it's the verb. It comes from the verb. It is the verb to see to it. I've looked into this. Um, in Genesis chapter 22, Abraham is called on by God to offer up his son Isaac as a sacrifice. 
And so Isaac, as they're on their way up to the mountain, Mount Moriah, uh, Isaac says, Dad, you know, here's the wood. Here's the means by which we're going to make the fire. And, and so I see it, the knife. It looks rather sharp. Here's all these things, but where's the sacrifice? Where's the lamb? And Abraham says this, God will provide himself a lamb. The word provide there is the same word that we're looking at right here. In other words, Abraham is saying this, listen, son, listen, Isaac, God will see to that. God will see to it. God will provide. And thus, after God did provide a ram in the thicket and the ram was offered in place of Isaac, certainly a picture of, of the Lord Jesus Christ and how that he is our substitute and God provided himself a lamb. God saw to it that you might be saved. The name of that place was called Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord, literally the Lord will see to it or the Lord who sees. So here it is as they're needing a new king in Israel, here's what, here's what God says to Samuel, Samuel, I've seen to this. I'm taking care of this. I've already noted a young man that I'm gonna use. In fact, we could even say this, given the timeline of events, God had already been working in his life long before they knew there was gonna be a need. God says, I've provided me a king among his sons. I've seen to this. God will see to it. You know what you need to be encouraged about when you don't know what to do? You need to trust Jehovah Jireh. You need to trust that God will see to it. You need to realize, and I need to realize, that God's kingdom and the choices of his kingdom are safest with him. Let God see to it. Uh, can, I, can I say to you tonight that the choices of your life are best left to God? It'd be, I, some of those areas I mentioned a moment ago, it'd be best if you just left that area about who you're going to marry, leave that to God. Let Jehovah Jireh rather than you, Jireh. Are you, are you following me? Rather than you seeing to it, how about you let God see to it? Because you'll probably be looking at the wrong things. You'll be looking at how handsome he is. <laughs> you'll think he's cute you'll be greatly confused because <laughs> he might have a bad attitude. And oh, no, 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 no. He's not going to show you that bad attitude right now while you're around him. He'll camouflage that. But you just, you just watch and see how he treats authority. You watch and see how he treats his mother. Listen, not just on Mother's Day, but when it's not Mother's Day and, and see how he handles, you know, the pressures of life. Hey, well, listen, just because he's cute, just because he's handsome, just because, you know, he's popular does not mean he's the one that God's got for you. In fact, you better go by a different criteria, young lady, because otherwise you might end up with somebody that's tall like Saul, but you may end up in a wreck. That choice and every choice is safest with God safest with God. Sure thought I had a good choice in eighth grade about who ought to be my girlfriend. She was pretty, a cheerleader, and she liked me. That was the criteria. <laughs> nothing about the heart, nothing about her spiritual life, and it's no wonder that she dumped me on Valentine's Day. I'm glad I left the choice with God. That God brought in my life, Angie. 
I'm, is this making sense or do I need to start over? Is everybody following this right here? Listen, don't base things on external. And, and by the way, when, when you see somebody beautiful or handsome or, and you're interested and you may say, I mean, you may not say that on the outside, but on the inside, you're saying, whoa, wow, she's beautiful. Well, right then you just better be running to Jesus. You better be running to the Lord. And then if she is as well, that's what Angie and I determined to do as we just, you know, the triangle illustration as, as, as you grow closer to God and she's growing closer to God, then you're actually growing closer together. But if you make it a human decision and you're basing it on human factors and you're getting closer to one another, but you're not getting closer, you're not getting closer to God. You're as far away from God as you've ever been in your life. You better base this on the right criteria. So I noticed, Angie, and, and I'll never forget, I, I wasn't really planning on going into all this, but since we're here, I might as well finish it, that, that it's like I remember being in, a, in McDonald's of all places. God speaks in very unique places, and it was after a youth rally, and it was like God said, I want you to get to know this, young, this girl. And I said, yes, sir, can do, will do, glad to, and I did. But I started running to the Lord and she was running to the Lord and then God brought us together. And so listen, you've got to base this decision. You've got to base this decision, young people, teenagers, are you listening to me here tonight? You've got to base this decision on the right criteria and the wrong criteria is what he, if he looks like somebody that's popular that's out there singing in the world. The right criteria would be this, what kind of heart does he have for God? What kind of heart does she have for God? What kind of heart does he have for God? Well, you say, well, he's, he's in Bible college. It doesn't matter. He could have the appearance of everything being okay you better see what kind of heart and love does he have for God that's been manifested through a time in his word, that, that he has a prayer life. You better have a man that has a prayer life. Are you listening to me here tonight? You say, well, I don't know if he's got a prayer life or not, but he sure looks good. That won't do you any good. Because those good looks won't get you a cup of coffee or pay your bills. I don't know what that means, but anyways, it won't get you very far. Saul, Samuel rather said... God, if I, if I go to Bethlehem and I leave Ramah, then that takes me right through Gibeah, the headquarters of Saul. And Saul is paranoid. He's paranoid at this point. He's, he's lost his brain at this point. We're going to see him. And he gets in some weird situations. And, and Samuel is saying, God, he, he, he knows he's tracking me. He's watching where I'm going. I, I don't know exactly all that was going on, but, but Saul had a way. Dogs or doeg, individuals like that that were his spies and watching out for every move that Samuel made. And listen, Samuel had just told him, listen, you're, you're done, Saul. Well, don't you know that, that Saul is going to be tracking Samuel's move because I wonder if he's anointing a new king in my spot right now. So Samuel had a legitimate concern. He brought that concern to God and, and, and God told him, listen, here's what you do. You take a heifer and you make a sacrifice there. That's not dishonest. He really did make a sacrifice there. God can't be dishonest. We know he's not being wrong. In fact, it was a cover for what the real mission was. Okay, this is totally a side note. In fact, I even wrote it in my notes as this, side note. Okay, side note. You ready for side note? Side note would be this. There are sometimes because there are no closed countries with God for the gospel. All power is given unto me in heaven and earth, Jesus said. Go ye therefore into all nations. Go ye therefore into all the world. Go ye therefore to all people groups. And some of those people groups are in China and in India and in Sri Lanka and other places that are closed to traditional missionaries. But that does not mean that that country is closed to God because sometimes what they need to do is just take a heifer. 
take a business, take English to get in there, or take, uh, take some other business. Their main mission, their main mission is the gospel, but on the side, they're going to have a cover that allows them to be in the country. Listen, and that's not dishonest. I think we need to be ethical about this, but at the same time, we are commanded to go into all the world, and we've got to get it in there somehow. Totally a side note. Okay, back to the message. Samuel assumed that he had located the king based on what he saw. They sanctified themselves. They probably cleaned up and put on a new suit of clothes. And Eliab the firstborn came and stood. Now Eliab must have been tall and good looking. Look around and see if I can find any examples. Nope. All right. So, oh man, sorry. That was low. Sorry. Eliab. He's tall. He's a warrior. First uh, Samuel fourteen, and uh, the last verse of chapter fourteen said that Saul looked throughout all the kingdom to find those who were strong, and that we had a part of his military. And Eliab, along with two of his other brothers, chapter 17, were in Saul's army. So, surmise from that, he was tall, he was handsome, he was strong. And Samuel said, that's him. That's him right there. I mean, just look at him. You can tell. I, you know, I mean, part of you has got to wonder, Samuel, what are you thinking? Tall? Warrior? Good looking? That's Saul. What do you want? Saul part two? <laughs> so even a man of God can get off and say, oh, look at that. Man, he is so impressive. It's got to be a lion. We're done probably today. That's him. And God, God saved the nation by saying, no, that's not him. I say, God saved the nation. You say, is that, is that too strong? No, God saved the nation because just think about, hang on, wait, just think about it. Eliab, whenever Goliath was there on the battlefield, Eliab was among the soldiers that were hiding. So they would have had more of Saul type life if they had gone with Eliab. I'm telling you, God spared them. He spared them from their own solution. I want to thank God tonight that he spares us from our solutions. From our, he's, in fact, I read one man that said it this way. He saves us from our saviors. Little s. He saves us from our saviors. You, you know what he means there? Uh, Samuel was saying, oh, this has got to be the one that can deliver us. This has got to be the one based on his size, based on his physique and his muscular strength. This has got to be the one. But thank God that God saved them from him. In other words, what the man was saying is basically this. Thank God that God sometimes saves us from us. Because we, we have our solutions. We think, oh, this will work. This will make things better. This will go brilliantly if we had this person or that person or if I did this or that. But thank God that God says, no, you're looking on the outside. You need to look deeper. God doesn't look at things the way that you and I look at things. I'm glad about that because I misjudge people sometimes, don't you? I wonder what, what can God do with these? God looks on the heart. 
Look again at verse number seven. This is such a monumental verse. We dare not fly by it too fast. The Lord said unto Samuel, Samuel, look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Now, don't use that verse out of context. Somebody that's trying to push for looser dress standards or something, they'll say, look, man looks on the outside, God looks on the heart. Stop judging me. What you're just revealing right there, number one, is ignorance of what the verse is saying. Number two, you're, you're revealing a heart that's rebellious against God because God doesn't in any wise endorse immodesty and other things that a lot of times I think people are trying to get by using that verse out of context. Man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart. Man even says it with a pious spirit and attitude. Now, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. Right? What does that mean? Well, that means this. The heart is the seat of your emotions or your thinking. So, can I say it this way? God looks on your will. God looks on your motives. God looks on your desires. God looks on your values. God looks even on your conscience. In his book, uh, A Dangerous Calling, Paul David Tripp said this, it's absolutely vital to remember, and this is about a pastor's ministry, but I, I want you to apply it to any realm of life that you're thinking about in the course of this message. It's, he says, it's absolutely vital to remember that a pastor's ministry is never shaped by his knowledge, experience, and skill. It's always shaped by the true condition of his heart. And that's true of your life as well. Your life is not shaped by your knowledge, your experience, or your skill. And thank God for all three of those. But God is looking at the heart. Well, next was Abinadab, and next was Shammah, and next was all the other brothers. So seven brothers came and stood before Samuel. And God said, it's not that one. 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 Nope, not that one. Not that one. Did I count to seven? Imagine that I did. <laughs> None of them. All right, we've got a dilemma here because uh, God said that it's from the house of Jesse in Bethlehem. And uh, so I know it's got to be from your house. Is there another Jesse in Bethlehem? No. What's going on here? Think about this, church. If it was left to popular vote, David would not have been voted in. Even his own dad didn't nominate him. I mean, you know it's bad. If your dad forgot you. Now, some of you have been left at church and don't take that personally. But it's just life. If it was based on his own siblings... Eliab, remember when David came to the field, you know, and bringing the food from, his, from their dad? Eliab said, who's taking care of the sheep, David? In other words, he belittled David, treated him like a big brother often treats a, treats a younger brother. Who's got the sheep, David? 
You're just here because of the pride of your heart. I'm telling you, if it had been up to David's own brothers, they never would have nominated him. In 2000, there was a, the NFL draft. <laughs> there were 12 quarterbacks that were on that year's particular draft. Six of them went by. And then a seventh. Actually, he was picked 199th, almost the 200th pick in the NFL draft in the year 2000. 199th in the sixth round. But seven Super Bowl rings later, he's figuring out how to play quarterback. Tom Brady. Now, I'm not vouching for Tom Brady. I'm not trying to start, start a fight. I'm not trying to split a church. I'm just simply saying, everybody looked over him and said, yeah, he played for Michigan. And is that right? Yeah. Yeah. He played for <laughs> Michigan. People just woke up. Yeah. He played for <laughs> Michigan and yeah, but you know, I mean, really he's, he's not any good. I mean, they, they there's six others ahead of him on the quarterback list. And then 198 people went ahead of what some would call the goat. Okay. I, I went too far there. Some are agreeing. Some would say nay, but my point is simply this, coaches, analysts, everybody overlooked him. And you can't argue, well, yes, you could, but we're not going to because we don't have time to. <laughs> that when everybody else was kind of passing him by, he actually turned out to be something. Okay, that's, that's, that is an inferior illustration to what we're talking about here tonight. Because they passed by seven other brothers and said, I'd like to, I'd like to, I'd like to. Top three, man, that'd be my top three picks. Eliab, Abinadab, and Shama. I mean, Shama means peace. That's what we need in the land. Come on, you can even spiritualize the decision. But it wasn't any of those three and it wasn't the next four. You got any more boys? David. <laughs> it wasn't like he'd forgot him. He just really didn't think he was king material. But God did. And Samuel said, go get him and we're not eating until you do. So they hurried and got him. <laughs> Here's what I want to say to you tonight. I'm going to make application and then we'll, we'll be done. God chose David as the next king of Israel because he had the right heart. That's it. He wasn't the strongest. He wasn't perhaps, I don't know. I, I think he was obviously very intelligent. I think he was good looking just like the rest. And, and listen, that, I mean, but that wasn't the qualifying factor there. The factor was this, his heart. He had the right heart. I'm asking you tonight, do you have the right heart? Because God's not impressed with our outward, our externals. He's not impressed with all of our credentials, but he's looking at your heart. What kind of heart do you have tonight? What kind of heart do you have for the things of God? What kind of heart does that person that you're interested in, what kind of heart do they have for God tonight? You better get over looking at the externals and start looking at the heart here tonight. Your ability to be used by God is determined by your heart, not, not your impressiveness. Your ability to be used by God is determined by the condition of the heart, your heart, not your impressiveness. You need God's choice rather than your own solution. 
Since we've already applied that to a life mate, let me apply it even to a church family. Somebody here looking for a church. Hey, listen, don't, don't, get, don't look for a church in terms of size. and Oh man, this is impressive. This is big. This is this, this is that. No, listen, because God can use churches that are running 20 or less and are just as impressive to God. You know what I mean by that? He's looking at that and seeing they got the right heart there and a big church can have a wrong heart. It's the heart. Never forget that. It's the heart of the matter. That is the heart. So many will, will be physically impressive. I, I mean, there, there can be those times where, and we, we really endeavor either here at church or at the school or, or even in our families, I think we need to be careful not to, not to um, well, I've heard Brother Sam say, not to slobber all over somebody. You know what I mean? What he means by that? What, what he's meant by that? Just like, oh man, look, let's, let's have them up to pray. Let's have them up to preach. Let's have them up to teach. Let's have them to sing. Let's have them do this. Let's do that. Because sometimes those that seem like they're really going to do something don't pan out. Because they may have great skill, they may have great oratory ability, they may even have great preaching skill or teaching skill or singing skill or, or a charisma or a great personality. But listen, if they don't have a heart that is right with God, God can't use them. They may be good looking, they may be extroverts, they may be well-educated, they may be intellectual, they may have great talent and ability. But let me ask you, dear friend, tonight this, how's the prayer life? How's their faithfulness to God? How's their heart for God? Do they spend time in God's word to hear from God, not just to check a box? And even sometimes pastors can get enamored. They go, oh, man, if we had an Eliab ministry around here, that'd be awesome. Growth, church growth models. We could, church, we could look around and say, you know, if we really wanted to grow around here, I'll tell you what we really need. We need to get with it because other people are leaving us in the dust. We need to get on the cutting edge. Have a praise band and a hip pastor that's got hair that he could comb between every service. And get impressed. Sometimes it's that people get impressed with people's knowledge. Oh man, if we had that individual, that, that person with that position or that big name preacher, that person with big degrees, hey, wait a minute, we better, we better, we better look at what God looks at and that's the heart. Amen. Outward excellence and leadership is only possible through inward obedience. So, a major point of application for everybody here tonight would be simply this. Pay more attention to what God pays attention to. Pay more attention there. If God looks on the heart, and He does. If God looks on the heart, and He does, then make sure you are looking not just on somebody else's heart, because you can't. But here's what you can do. You can look and have a heart for God yourself. And make sure that you're doing everything you know to do to make sure that you have a heart for God in terms of time with Him and relationship. Not checking boxes, but a real, viable, growing relationship with Him. Pay attention to the heart. In fact, David's son Solomon said it this way, keep thy heart with all diligence. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Be faithful to the task that God has given you, even if it seems insignificant, because God may be using that task to prepare you 
for your future. David was keeping sheep. You know why? Because he needed a shepherd's heart. Compensate for your inadequacies. You know, you, you look at it, well, I, I can't be used of God because I'm not good looking. I'm not smart. I'm country. <laughs> I'm, I'm short. I'm, I'm heavy. I'm thin. I'm skinny. I'm, I'm not impressive. Here's what do. Compensate for whatever you sense to be an inadequacy. By the way, don't, don't overlook how God made you. And wrestle against Him. But compensate for whatever you sense to be. I can't speak. I can't speak. I talk. I can't, I can't uh, think like other people think. I can't write like other people write. Don't compensate for that by trying to add more skills to the neglect of your spiritual life. Don't try compensate for that by trying to focus more attention on your physical appearance. Let me be careful right here. It's not wrong to give attention, you know, to try to lose weight or try to gain strength or, uh, you know, run faster or, or work out. But, but don't do it to try to impress others because otherwise you may be doing it to the neglect of the most important part of you and that would be the heart. And certainly don't dress in a way that tries to call attention to yourself. Dress sharp, dress nice, dress certainly modestly. You, you, uh, well, it's nearly summertime. I might as well just put a reminder in right here, just even for the ladies, though modesty applies to men as well. But listen, even as we get into summer months and it's, and it's hot outside, listen, don't go short, don't go tight, don't go low. Because otherwise you may be trying to impress somebody with your appearance when really what really matters is your heart. Work on having a heart with God because you don't have to impress others to be used by God. Because your ability to be used by Him is not determined by the level of your impressiveness, but rather it's determined by the condition of your heart. So keep your heart. Let's stand together here tonight. Father, tonight, we tend to be enamored just like Samuel was, even at least at that moment, with size and ability and countenance, when really we need to evaluate things based and looking at it like you do and that on the heart. And God, I pray that you would help us to even have a greater heart for you out of this message even. Lord, that you would help us to be wise and discerning and, and close to you in the heart because that's who you use, Lord. And so I pray that you'd help us, even like you did the church in Ephesus when you mentioned all the good things that were going on, but you also, dear God, you did mention that they left their first love, not their love entirely, but their first love, that level of love for you, their heart for you. And so God, I pray that you'd help us right there as well. And so, God, I pray that you bless this invitation time. Thank you so much for the time to be in your word here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Page 483, I surrender all.